This podcast is made possible by your support and your donations. Thank you. And by the purchase of my book called Everyday Buddhism, Real Life Buddhist Teachings and Practices for Real Change. I will post an affiliate link to the book on Amazon in the show notes. And if you've already read it, please take a minute to rate and review and also consider purchasing it again for a friend or family member as a gift. Welcome to Everyday Buddhism, making every day better by applying the proven tools found in Buddhist concepts. Welcome to episode 77 of Everyday Buddhism, Making Everyday Better. This is a very special episode with Reverend Marvin Harada, the Bishop of the Buddhist Churches of America. As Bishop of BCA, he also serves as the Superintendent of Honganji's North American District, and Honganji is the largest of all Jodo Shinshu branches. On May 25th, 2021, he served as the representative of the Mahayana tradition in a celebration of Gautama Buddha's birthday, or Visek, arranged by the White House. And prior to the beginning of his tenure as bishop, which started in April of 2020, Reverend Harada served as head minister of Orange County Buddhist Church for 33 years. Reverend Harada majored in religious studies at the University of Oregon and received a Master of Arts in Buddhist Studies from the Institute of Buddhist Studies. After acquiring these degrees, he then moved to Japan as a seminarian to study for the ministry and where he received a Master of Arts in Shin Buddhist Studies. Reverend Harada was born in Ontario, Oregon. His grandparents, farmers from the Hiroshima, Hiroshima Prefecture and the Yamaguchi Prefecture, emigrated to the United States in early the early 20th century, which you're going to hear more about when Reverend Harada talks a little bit about his background. I will provide links to both the Buddhist Churches of America and links to link to a little more background of Bishop Parada in my show notes. Now, in our conversation in this episode, I am honored to have a discussion with Reverend Harada about what makes Shin Buddhism a truly everyday Buddhism. And we talk about meditation, mindfulness, chanting, ritual and about the teachers we have in common and what made them special. I hope you'll continue to listen to our conversation, and I'm confident it might inspire you to investigate more into Shin Buddhism. The conversation starts now. 
Hello, Reverend Harada. Thank you so much for joining me again. I'm going to share with my audience another little bit of ways to um, humiliate myself that uh, uh, we had a recording scheduled last week and we had a wonderful conversation that was almost finished. And it so I noticed that uh, my recording light wasn't on. So um, that there went that, but uh through the graciousness of uh, of uh, Bishop Arada, who uh, he said, okay, I'll join you again today. And so we're doing this once again. So thank you twice. No problem. My pleasure. <laughs> um, I have really been looking forward to it twice because um, uh, I had so many questions about things that I think would be helpful to my audience, who I think by and large are, primarily ignorant when it comes to Shin Buddhism, um, except for the few times that I have talked about Shin Buddhism. My audience I've, is primarily, I think, it's hard with demographics to really get a good grip on this, is primarily people who are new to Buddhism or or just exploring Buddhism. So um, Shin Buddhism is really something... Um, unique to them and 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 so they don't know but i i i love to share what i think is the uh the the truly everyday buddhist aspects of of shin buddhism um mm-hmm. it captured me when i was in a lay ministry program with the bright dawn center of oneness buddhism um after almost 20 years of study and practice in tibetan buddhism and when i felt that tibetan buddhism wasn't doing it for me like shinran i sort of crawled away and felt like a failure and discovered Reverend Koyo Kabose and the Bright Dawn program. So I'm thrilled that I know you're going to convince people, not convince because that's not the job, but um, show people how wonderful Shin Buddhism is. Um, I shared your bio Uh and introduction at the beginning, but I'd like you to share a little more about your life, how you came to Buddhism, uh, how you came to Shin Buddhism, how you came to be a minister and then, you know, Bishop of the Buddhist churches of America. But, you know, first, could you just give our listeners like a 10,000 foot perspective of of Shin Buddhism? You know, what are just a few of the distinguishing features of Shin Buddhism as compared to some of the Buddhist practices or lineage and schools they might know of um mm-hmm. you know because you know zen buddhism tibetan mm-hmm. buddhism those mm-hmm. seem to be pretty prevalent in the culture so if you could you know those are like three questions all tied up in one and i'll let you go <laughs> okay okay <laughs> well i think the 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 key part of shin buddhism that we had to talk about is the nimbutsu nimbutsu so when you write Nembutsu in the Chinese characters, Butsu means Buddha. And Nen, uh, actually it means to contemplate or think on Buddha. And actually that's how they write mindfulness in Chinese. This character, the Nen of Nembutsu. So really mindfulness is, is integral to the Shin Buddha's perspective. Uh, it's not just meditation, but the Nen of Nembutsu is is mindfulness. And initially, it was to contemplate, to think on the Buddha. 
but that contemplative practice sort of morphed and changed over time in the Asian continent, especially in China. And the Chinese Pure Land Master by the name of Shan Dao or Zendo in Japanese uh, made the adjustment of, of making Nembutsu the vocal recitation of the Buddha's name. So instead of just sitting in meditation, like in Zen, to say the Nembutsu, to say Namu Amidabutsu, and within one's everyday life. And that's how Pure Land Buddhism became more of the everyday person's uh, sort of path of Buddhism. Because right. now you don't have to you don't have to sit in a monastery and meditation seven eight hours a day. A farmer could do this. Uh, you know, people of all ages of all backgrounds can simply recite the nembutsu. And in saying the nembutsu, namuamidabutsu, uh, it brings the Buddha to mind. It brings wisdom and compassion to mind. It opens our hearts and minds to receiving the Dharma, to receiving uh, the heart of the Buddha, which is what Shin Buddhism is all about, uh, receiving rather than sort of striving to attain. Uh, yeah, that's unique. <clears throat> I'm glad you said that that's a unique, I think, perspective. Mm -hmm. um, it's sort of reverse what our culture usually thinks about. They usually grasp at Right? That's right. <laughs> rather that's right. than open to that's right uh -huh. so i think that's where to me shin buddhism really fits in with the modern lifestyle uh because uh who can really commit themselves to hours <laughs> and hours of meditation a day or giving up your your work or your career we we have our careers we have our families uh, to support and this path of the nimbutsu can be something that a person can do in their everyday life, no matter what their occupation is, yeah. whether they're at corporate headquarters or whether they're a farmer or whether uh, they are elderly or whether they are uh, a teenager. You know, we can follow this path of the nimbutsu and no matter what our, our lifestyle is. Yeah, that's, uh, that was a wonderful um 100,000, 200,000 foot perspective. Um, but you really did dive down to the significant difference. And I think the thing that I will emphasize, not that you didn't already emphasize it, but maybe this is sort of an underlining or a highlighting is that um, it's, it's the remembering the Buddha or the mindfulness, you know, mindfulness is like, you know, that's about as a ubiquitous of a term as there is any any term in Buddhism in, in today's world. Everybody's taking courses on mindfulness. Mm. Um, yet it, it is, a, without maybe oversimplifying it, yeah. a mindfulness is essentially to remember the Buddha. It's not just to remember, right. not just to remember yourself. I mean, we do yeah. that a lot. <laughs> uh, it's, it's to remember the Buddha, the remember um, and all the all the uh, the positive aspects or attributes of of the Dharma. So, yeah, that 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 was a, I'm so glad you emphasized that. So now the other part of that question is, how did you come to Buddhism? Mm -hmm. How mm -hmm. did you come to Shin Buddhism mm -hmm. and then end up making that your profession as a uh -huh. minister? 
Yes. So I grew up uh, as a Shin Buddhist. My grandparents were Shin Buddhists. They immigrated to this country in the early 1900s. And they came from parts of Japan that were, in a sense, the hotbed of Shin Buddhism. I mean, the most pious, the most devout followers of Shin Buddhism came from uh, areas like Hiroshima, where many of the Japanese immigrants came from. So people like my grandparents brought that spirituality, Shin Buddhism, to this country. And then they formed Japanese communities and they formed Buddhist temples. And so I attended one of those uh, temples in Eastern Oregon from when I was young. Uh, but as a young person, it was more my family's religion. It really wasn't my own religion, uh, even though I attended uh, and I was attended uh, what we call the Dharma school. It's like Sunday school mm -hmm. and high school age activities, YBA. And I was more for the in it for the fun and social events <laughs> uh, in college. Uh, a pivotal experience for me was one of my best friends and roommates in college was a very devout Christian. And he wanted to, I think he was trying to convert me to Christianity, actually, <laughs> but he, he wanted to talk religion all the time. And I couldn't answer any of his questions about Buddhism. He, he's meeting a Buddhist for the first time, and he wants to dialogue and discuss religion. And I really couldn't, couldn't do so. It kind of shook me up and made me realize, well, I... I don't have my own religion. It's my family. Right. So what, what really is Buddhism to me? So it kind of started me on this path of really uh, rediscovering the religious tradition I was part of. <laughs> that best friend became a, a Christian minister, and we're still good friends. No and kidding. We, yeah. We got, we got together last year, and, and we talked shop the whole time. You know? <laughs> <laughs> that is so funny that he still he you started that way and you're still yes. doing it. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. So that's when I began to rediscover Buddhism and actually study it and listen to the teachings, you know, really for myself. Then I came to find this is a tremendous teaching. I wanted to get more into it. And then I changed my major to religious studies, went to University of Oregon, took classes on Buddhism went to our small school in Berkeley, the Institute of Buddhist Studies, and that's where we uh, can qualify to become a, a minister. And then after that, went went on to study under Reverend Gyome Kubose, uh, Reverend Koyo's father. I mean, just a tremendous experience to learn from uh, a teacher like that. And then went on to Japan and studied further and then became a, uh, a minister in our Buddhist Churches of America. Yeah, um, I'm so glad you mentioned Reverend Gilme Kabose. Um, I, I, I had you not, I was going to, but I knew you would because um, I knew <laughs> you studied under him, um, and you said he was really influential in in your path, um, and and clearly um, he's influential in my past too. He's like pri mm -hmm. one of my primary teachers because it was the foundational, Reverend Gilmay's writings were the foundational. I didn't have the pleasure of meeting him because he had passed mm -hmm. right before the time the lay oh. ministry program had started, which was one of the reasons the lay ministry did start was because Reverend Koyokabosa, his son, wanted uh, uh, some way to carry on the legacy mm -hmm. um, with with teacher people who could go out and speak 
to yes. everyday people of Reverend mm-hmm. Gilmay's teachings. Um, so what was it that hooked you about Reverend Gilmay? Mm-hmm. Well, although I've been brought up as a Shin Buddhist, as I mentioned, uh, and although I began to reconnect with Buddhism in general, I I couldn't connect with how Shin Buddhism was being presented to me, like in the way the minister's sermons were talking about it. Yeah. And I think this this is sort of the the obstacle that many new people have with Shin Buddhism is that Amida kind of sounds like God, and the Pure Land sounds like a, a, a heaven that we right. go to when we die. And I couldn't kind of it didn't that didn't resonate with me. So. I was struggling with trying to connect with with Shin Buddhism uh, while I was studying IBS. And then we heard that Reverend Kubose was giving a a lecture at the San Jose uh, Buddhist temple. So I went there to hear his lecture. And the way he talked about (laughs) Shin Buddhism was so strikingly different than any, any lecture or Dharma talk that I had heard about Shin Buddhism. I thought, Wow, if this is what Shin Buddhism is, I can really relate to this, his way of talking about uh, Amida Buddha represents that which we should become. Yeah. Amida Buddha represents that which we should become. Amida Buddha is, is a, a symbol for wisdom and compassion. And that's what we should become. I mean, we should come to receive that heart of the Buddha. Uh, which is the path of Shin Buddhism. So the way he just presented it, it, it was just so striking. And then I felt that I would, I, I really should study under a teacher like that. So I was able to spend nine months in Chicago, uh, studying under Reverend Kubosa, spending time at his temple, just helping or helping out at the temple sometimes, but uh, accompanying him to the various lectures that he would give at local colleges and and meditation every sunday and all of that it was just a it was a tremendous uh, experience yeah i i imagine so you just talking about it makes me a little heartsick that i never got to meet him because oh, he's just, yeah yeah because yes, yes. he's just a, a profound teacher um mm-hmm. actually i'm wearing um, this is an offhanded comment, but I think people could get a kick out of this. Um, people who know me know I'm a huge baseball fan. Um, Reverend Gomez was, and so was Reverend Coyle. Yes, but they're they were big Chicago fans, of course. Yes, and and I'm from Cleveland, and so I'm a big Cleveland fan. So we used to have a little, we used <laughs> to have a little, uh, you know, uh, friendly sort uh. of wagers going on especially near the end of a season if there was a playoff or something and actually so um so reverend coyle kabose knew how much it meant to me and he he sent me this uh this mala i'm showing it to the camera and i'm showing Uh, it to uh, reverend harada it's made out of the stitches on a baseball um and and there are 108 stitches on a, every baseball. I'm not kidding you. A hundred and eight. Really? Uh, yes. A hundred and eight. I don't think it was the, the Dharma manufacturing or anything, but there happens to be 108 stitches on every baseball and a, fa- a Chicago fan who knew 
uh, somebody who was, uh, I think, in uh, Reverend Gilmay's temple presented him this mala and Reverend Coyle kept it. And uh -huh. then when we talked sh baseball shop, yeah. he, he sent this to me um, on one year when the Cleveland in when Cleveland was in the play playoffs and Chicago was in the playoffs, too. So so uh, now I wear this in memory of both of them right around playoff season. So. Oh, interesting. <laughs> isn't, isn't that great? That's just the kind of people, and I kind of share this because uh, that's the everydayness. There would be a uh, way for uh, Reverend Gilmay to talk about something as uh, common as a baseball game uh -huh. in a way that would teach you something about yes. the Dharma. Like uh -huh. Uh -huh. Reverend Coyle used to always, he always said, you know, my father never taught me anything, but I sure did learn a lot. Um, but speaking of teachers, um, on that lineage, um, you also shared that the writings of uh, Reverend Hayakagarasu were teachings that influenced you. And, and mm -hmm. Hayakagarasu um, was the teacher of Reverend Gilme Kabose, and yes. he yes. writes much about his experience of first hearing Haya Akagarasu that absolutely echoes what you just said about meeting mm. Reverend Gome. It's like he yeah. never heard anything like it. And mm -hmm. and then um, Haya Akagarasu's teacher was Kiyozawa Manchi. And yes. he wrote about meeting Manchi in the same way. It's sort of like there's this mm. traditional way of being wowed by the the presentations and and i have a question for you and 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 this may bit be a bit too much in the shin buddhist weeds if you will <laughs> for uh -huh. my listeners but um it's my experience that reverend hakagarasu um engenders not always the most positive respect in the shin buddhist teaching community and i think this is because he was kind of the uh, he was in fact a rebel because he was one of the ones that initiated sort of a split in the Hogashi um in lineage um so um one of the things that um i think is is that that there's a, a theme being echoed here is like you heard something that was so um it's not wasn't traditional, but it caught you because it was the mm. way you thought you could live your life and you could make an understanding of it. Mm. Um, and and it seems like Hayaka Garasu taught that Reverend Gome taught that, and mm. now it seems like you teach it because in the traditional Shin Buddhist approach, mm. it is very traditional mm. to mm. a lot of people, like you said. Mm. Uh, Omid is like a god, and the Pure Land's like a heaven, mm. and um. I, I've had a lot of people run to me when you were appointed bishop or elected bishop. I don't know what the mm -hmm. real word for that is. Um, uh, I had people run to me and say, oh, my, Reverend Harada is the new bishop. That means we're going to get all modernized in the BCA. So uh, do you have anything to say about all of this sort of rebellious <laughs> lineage stuff? <laughs> Well, let, let me com comment on Reverend Akagarasu. So ever since I studied under Reverend Kubose, I always wanted to uh, be able to read 
the writings of Reverend Akagasu, of course, Reverend Kubosa's teacher. And so after studying in Japan, you know, I got to where I could kind of read. I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm really fluent. I have to use the dictionary still. <laughs> but but over the years of uh, my ministry, his writings uh, in Japanese uh, have been this tremendous source of inspiration. And actually his writings or his books are actually his talks that he gave that in those days, this is without before there were tape recorders and things like that. He would give these talks, lectures at his temple and other temples, and a layperson would be writing in shorthand, in a sense, in Japanese. Wow. As fast as he was talking. And then they would, of course, edit that and then make it into a published book. So the collected works of Reverend Akagarasu, I have I have it, 32, wow. 32 volumes. Oh, my. 32 volumes. I mean wider than my my arm width here and so and just virtually only a tiny tiny portion has been translated so that's the amount of of breadth of uh uh materials that we can draw from from reverend akagasu so see his he wasn't just being a sort of a revolutionary it's a reflection of his own spiritual sort of experience yeah he was a, the son of a temple minister, and he was brought up in a very traditional Shin Buddhist sense. He believed in Amida Buddha as sort of a savior, and Amida Buddha is going to you know, take him to the Pure Land someday. And he was very pious, very devout. But then in his 30s and uh, late 30s, he had sort of a sort of a spiritual crisis. You know, he had some some. Uh, criticism and and I think uh, marital difficulties, various life experiences mm -hmm. presented itself. And that Amida Buddha that he saw as a savior disappeared. Disappeared. Ah, yeah. And so he was, he kind of fell into this sort of a dark hole, a deep, dark hole. <laughs> and everything that he had read and learned about Shin Buddhism nothing helped him nothing helped him and so he began to return and reread a lot of the shin buddhist texts and he read various things that didn't help didn't help <laughs> finally he began to restudy the larger sutra the larger sutra and in rereading this larger sutra the story the myth of the bodhisattva dharmakara the uh, hero of the story mm -hmm. of the larger sutra that goes on to become Amida Buddha and creates the Pure Land, this whole story, he began to see it in a totally different light. See, instead of seeing Amida Buddha as a savior out there, he began to, Dharmakara's innermost aspiration or Hongan began to resonate within him. Within yeah. him. Now, this innermost aspiration or Hongan that's what was causing him to rise up out of this dark hole that he was in. And, and so he said, oh, now that, that this is what the sutra is trying to teach. Yeah. Yeah. It was such, and so now his whole perspective on how he looked at Shin Buddhism, you know, changed based on that sort of uh, spiritual experience. And so he shared his messages 
in light of that uh, new insight. And so that's what resonates with me. And I think that's the way that Shin Buddhism will resonate with people in the West. I agree. I think it's like, it's when, because in some ways I think it's rare to meet someone, whether that be within Buddhism, Shin Buddhism, Christianity, who take the teachings and it mm. totally becomes them. Do you know yeah. what I mean? That yeah. that within the within the experience of life, like you named, like the 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 marital difficulties and illness yeah. and and yeah. all the things that we we face is if I think it's very typical for our our religious religiosity to sort of disappear when those things happen. <laughs> do, right. do you know what I mean? Yes. yes. But, yes. But if you find a way, and returning to the original teachings is is mm. pretty much typically the way. So mm. I, I think you're right. I definitely I think that's how. And I think it's I think Reverend Gilme mm. he he brought those teachings. Mm -hmm. You know mm. he he got the teachings in his life the same way that um, Reverend Akagarasu did. Um, and I think that's the way. You know, like Shinran tells the story, it's his, it's the same thing. It's like when you reach the darkest holes is when you mm. have, it's, that's when that small opportunity to see the brightest light come along, right? That's mm -hmm. really how it happens. Mm. Um, now you've really piqued my interest. All those teachings of Reverend Akagarasu and Japanese, um, <laughs> when there's only like a couple of books and one of them's out of print now. Yeah, yeah, um, right, I, right, right. It's like I'm always trying to find a way to get them for my for my people who who get interested. Um, uh, are you going to translate those? <laughs> yes, someday, someday. <laughs> Because uh, I had I started a study class when I was a minister at Orange County Buddhist Church to read and study this larger sutra. So we started, it was it's the tortoise method of study. <laughs> we started from the very beginning and we went character by character, line by line, wow. looking at the original text, looking at the English translation of the sutra. But also I would translate some of Reverend Akagas's commentary. Ah. on the larger sutra and and then we would read his i would share it's just my rough draft translation of his commentary but we would read how he understands the that passage or that portion of the sutra and i was like oh every class i go gee what is this sutra trying to say and then i read reverend akagas's commentary and it's like oh that's what it's saying yeah. see we need in order to read these texts, you, you really can't read it just on your own. I mean, you can, you can read it, but what is it trying to say? See, that's where we need uh, the guidance of, of other teachers, it, it, whether it's in the form of their book and commentary or a, a live in-person teacher to help, help us uh, come to understand and how to read these texts. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, Geez, uh, we'll all be waiting around for when you translate these because <laughs> it's 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 kind of exciting actually. Uh, um, you know, since you already gave the, you know, the like I said, the hundred thousand foot summary of uh, yeah. the principal distinguishing teachings of Shin Buddhism, um, let's talk maybe a little more about 
what distinguishes you you know you 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 mentioned um the nembutsu you mentioned mm-hmm. amida you mentioned the pure land mm-hmm. um and i also noticed the tagline on the bca churches on their website is uh life of gratitude yes. i think gra- yes. gratitude is a a key mm-hmm. feature i'll let you say more about what you think the key features are that would strike at, at the heart of a more contemporary interested mm-hmm. uh mm-hmm. potential buddhist or just a, mm-hmm. a regular person <laughs> mm-hmm. so the if i were to although we talked i talked about uh saying the nembutsu in your everyday life the other key practice if we were to call it a practice in shin buddhism is to listen to the teachings to listen to the dharma and that sounds simple, but it's actually really hard to do. It's yeah. simple in that a five-year-old can do it, a 90-year-old could do it, but how well can one do it yeah. is, is, is a great question uh, to really listen and receive, especially our modern lifestyle. Our attention span has gotten so short, and that's where mindfulness can help too, but our attention span is basically the length of a commercial, which is why <laughs> commercials are three or four minutes long. Right? Well, actually, I think it's gotten even to about like a 15 seconds uh, in my lifetime. It's amazing. So so that's where uh, in, in Shin Buddhism, we listen to the teachings, which means to a- attend a, a temple and listen to a Dharma message or listen to a, a study class or listen to a discussion. And then we begin to hear the Dharma in our everyday life through a conversation. Maybe maybe a bartender has something to teach you. Maybe a cab driver has something to teach you. Uh, maybe a comment from from your child or your grandchild has something to teach you but we have to have the you know the ears to hear it we have to have the eyes to see it we have to have the heart and mind to receive it and that's where listening to the teachings over and over and over that kind of heart and mind is sort of nurtured and then we begin to to see it in our everyday life just to give you a a quick story my teacher in japan professor shigaragi he once shared a tremendous lesson he learned from a cab driver. So he's he's taking the cab in Japan. Many people don't have cars, so he's taking the cab uh, to school. He he's a professor, and you know he's just striking up a conversation with the cab driver. And it was the day after it had rained in Kyoto. Kyoto has air pollution like L.A. So he was commenting, "Oh, isn't it wonderful? The day after a rain, uh, it's that the sky is so clear." And the cab driver says something like, yes, you know, and we humans are kind of the same way, too. And, <laughs> well, what, 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 what do you mean by that? And this man says, the cab driver says, sometimes, sometimes we humans have to shed tears to clear our vision. And ah, it's like, wow. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So tears of sadness tears of grief tears of sorrow there's there's meaning in those tears because it's it's clearing our vision for for how we can now more truly see the world 
that, so that, those that, kinds that. of everyday life experiences are all out there uh-huh. yeah so listening that's a because uh, i once uh in in explaining shin buddhism somewhere on the podcast or in to my group sangha group or whatever um they said well if meditation isn't one of the primary practices of of shin buddhism then what is and and they said what is other than the nembutsu because mm-hmm. it's like they kind of don't want to do the nembutsu so it's like what what else can i do um and, and i said well like listening and <laughs> I, and and i was kind of stuck i mean i talked about like listening to you yeah. know talks and listening yeah. to but but then um you know the way you described it is absolutely perfectly because it's and it's kind of the way we were taught by Reverend Koyo Kabose is oh, oh, in oh. our ministry uh, mm-hmm. uh, program. One of our main things that we had to do is to write what he called Dharma glimpses, uh-huh. Uh-huh. which is where we glimpse the Dharma in everyday life. Mm-hmm. And we had to pre- write them and learn to present them as if it was a Dharma talk. Mm-hmm. So we would be able to share the Dharma mm-hmm. with everybody we ran across. Like, like the the cab driver or 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 whatever which i think is a profound teaching and what i would notice over cuz we went on to facilitate the classes after reverend coyle kind of pulled back a little bit what i would notice is you know it was like a two two plus year program mm-hmm. is is that the students would start like giving book like like taking quotes from books and and yes. and and sort of demonstrating what they've read and yeah. and always it was never anything to do with glimpsing it in their own life uh-huh. Uh-huh. you know it, it, yeah. it's just not the way we're wired when we're right. especially when we're trying to learn something and mm-hmm. boy when they would kind of come to that it mm-hmm. was like that's what listening is Mm-hmm. And, and you emphasize if you have the ears to hear. And I yeah. think that takes training. You said it's hard to do. Yes. And so, you know, over the years, I've been able to encounter many wonderful Shin Buddhists that that have that attitude of listening and learning from everyone and how it, it manifests in their in their everyday life. We had a most devout lady at, at Orange County passed away a few years ago and and she was such a listener of the Dharma. I always sat in the front and attended all of my study classes. I did introduction to Buddhism, you know, eight or nine times and she took it every time. <laughs> and I would and I would say to her, I would say, Sachi, you've taken this course eight times. You don't need to take this course. She said, oh no, every time I learn something new. Every time I learn something new. So there I like to tell you one story about her. Uh, some holiday weekends, we didn't have service at Orange County. We like to give families a weekend off. So she would go with a, a friend who was a Christian to that friend's Christian church hmm. to, to attend service there. And so she attended once. And then after the service, the friend was complaining about the minister's sermon. I don't know what that minister was trying to say today, <laughs> really complaining about the sermon. And this woman, Sachi, she goes, oh, I thought it was a wonderful sermon. <laughs> oh, she's this guest at this Christian service, but and she's explaining the point of the sermon to her Christian <laughs> friend. 
how, how is this possible? It's possible because she's this listener. Yeah. She heard the message. She heard the point. <laughs> yes, exactly. So R Reverend Coyle used to teach us, um, if, if someone says, if you say that teacher, that teacher was so bad, that teacher bored me, that teacher, uh, um, and he says, what you're doing is you're pointing a finger at yourself. You're saying, I am so, I can't listen. I don't listen. I do, you know what I mean? He always made a point of emphasizing that. I don't know whether it was so we'd go easy on him or something, but I, but I don't, it, 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 and it is true. That is uh -huh. Uh -huh. some people, and that's not really the way our culture uh -huh. is. Yeah, yeah, right. It, it really isn't at all, but uh -huh. it, it is. So we have listening, we have gratitude. Uh -huh. You know, gratitude sounds a little corny, um, uh -huh. but not really. Um, but yet I do think, you know, in in uh I mean, when people first hear about Buddhism, um, they always they always talk about the bad news of Buddhism. I call it the bad news oh. of Buddhism, you know, uh -huh. life is suffering, right? Uh -huh. Uh -huh. <laughs> And and uh, it's 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 pretty hard to get them to the other parts, like uh -huh. especially. And I and I don't think you know some of the other lineages in schools do this quite well. Um, uh -huh. I do think Shin Buddhism does mm -hmm. um, because they don't really like. So a lot of times I meet people who are. Um, who were brought up like who were like you were brought up in a Shin Buddhist house or brought up in a uh, Thai Buddhist house or brought up in a um, Tibetan Buddhist house or family, they don't necessarily know the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path. They mm -hmm. they don't, but they learn how to live based mm -hmm. on some of the main principles. Mm -hmm. But so so yeah, I think so. We got gratitude. Is there any other key? Um, distinguishing teaching that you'd like to talk about um yeah well let me just comment on that on that uh, uh gratitude so if if a person has a heart of gratitude then you have everything you have everything yeah you're not seeking your happiness in x amount of dollars or in uh, a Tesla, or <laughs> in uh, a beautiful mansion, or something like that, or some ideal spouse or partner. Buddhism is trying to awaken us to really see and appreciate uh, whatever it is that we have in our life. You know, right now, right? You know, there's a, there's an amazing uh, fountain at Duanji Temple. Uh, in Kyoto, that's where it has the white rocks. The oh, Zen yeah, yeah. So I every four years, I take our high school youth group to Japan as a cultural and sort of spiritual trip. So that's one of the most famous temples in Kyoto. So we go there. It's just a simple garden, white rocks, and there's a few large rocks. So I, I bring them there. And one of the YBA kids says to me, so sensei, where's the garden? <laughs> 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 this is the garden. <laughs> really? <laughs> so, but the last time I was there, I walked around uh, to the back of the temple, and there's this sort of a fountain. And this fountain has four Chinese characters written on it. And it's a Buddhist saying. So I'm looking at it, and I go, 
oh, this is such a profound statement. And there's a very similar statement in the larger sutra too. But basically what it says is, the only thing I know in life is that I have enough. Oh, the, that's only thing, the only thing I know in life is that I have enough. And so the author of this poem is saying, I don't know much about philosophy. I don't know much about history. I don't know much about this or government or this or that. But I know I have enough. Meaning, however much money they have in the bank, that's enough. Their house that they live in, that's enough. You know, my wife, that's enough. You know? <laughs> <laughs> that didn't come across quite right, but no, it didn't. But and it's okay. I, I'll tell her not to listen. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Meaning to be grateful for whatever you have in life even even with terrible things like maybe you have cancer yeah. or or maybe your spouse has left you and you find yourself in this terrible situation but you know buddhism is trying to awaken us to embrace the totality of our life experience and and we can be even grateful for for difficult challenges of life that's that's a beautiful saying absolutely and the way the way it's termed in that way uh, elevates the whole concept of gratitude in uh, in in, in, uh, a, in a in a very different thing a uh, di very different way um another question i wanted to ask you is um you know i i i mentioned uh the last time we met um is, <laughs> is is that i read this article from lion's roar about me to teacher oh, yes, uh, yes reverend yes. marvin harada and uh, uh and and it, there was for some cute questions they asked you about your heroes and your teachers and your um and your favorite tv shows and um and all of those things but uh, but one of the things that did at that mentioned you mentioned at the beginning um <clears throat> that you were um one of the one of your missions as a bishop mm -hmm. was to um to try to bring shin buddhism to a wider audience um and you know i it's it's always been my complaint about shin buddhism is mm -hmm. is it doesn't seem to or in my my feeling of it, and this sounds highly critical, and so I apologize. But it, it was it 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 never seemed to try to appeal mm -hmm. to people beyond like the the families that grew up in Shin right. Buddhism. I That's mean, right. you know, right. like the the story was, and and I know you've shared this story as a story was like you know people walk in and there's pews and it doesn't seem like it's buddhist but that's okay too that's not a problem it's still yeah. but if there's then there's then there's japanese chanting and then there's yeah. you know yeah. um i don't think it has to become like tibetan buddhism like turn it uh -huh. into meditation and turn uh -huh. you know uh -huh. and have zafus around and you uh -huh. know it, it doesn't have to do that but it, it does seem to be like miss the connection and i think we've hit upon this a little bit in that mm -hmm. talking to people today in their every day um mm -hmm. so how mm -hmm. do you see your mission being fulfilled in that way mm -hmm. yeah that's a that's a great question uh I, so 
I'm trying to help all of our churches and temples uh, do a better job at uh, connecting with a greater audience, and especially the newcomer that comes to our temples or uh, for the first time. Uh, and so you know, part of that is the message, the Dharma message from the minister. It has to resonate with them. Uh, it has to connect with their everyday life. So I've been trying to say to uh, our BCA community, ministers and lay alike, that there's sort of two levels of Buddhism. There's a truth level, and then there's a sort of a practical level. Mm -hmm. And the all of our great teachers and masters and many ministers, they're, they're trying to communicate Buddhism on this truth level. But the average person is more interested on the on the practical level. Absolutely. Will it, ease, will it ease my stress? Will it help me to live a happier life, a more meaningful life, a more fulfilled life? We, we have those kind of practical uh, questions. But if the sermon is here at this truth level and people are at this practical level, there's this, there's this disconnect. Absolutely. This disconnect. So my challenge for me as a minister is to how to connect with the practical everyday life experiences of of anyone to the dharma at a at a sort of a deeper level and it may be something where we try to lead people to the to the truth level which of course might take some time but at least to to try to make that connection and only then i think will people be more drawn uh to to shin buddhism Absolutely. It's it's essentially the two truths, what you're talking about, yes, the, uh, yes. the ultimate and the conventional truth. And uh -huh. you're right. Nobody, you know, you, you, if, if you, if you talk at the ultimate truth uh -huh. level all the yeah. time, you, you're, you're, uh, people think you're talking philosophy and ho-hum, yeah. right? Um, uh -huh. Uh -huh. <laughs> and, and if you continue to chant and don't tell them what the chant means, then again, ho-hum, yeah. right? Yeah. It's like, First of all, most of the time people can't even form those words. And so yeah. how can they even participate in that? Right. That's a problem. It's mm -hmm. like because a lot of people say, you know, like you said in that article, your your favorite. What was it? Um, your favorite meditation practice and its traditional sutra chanting. Uh, yeah, mm -hmm. uh, I I've only recently begun to explore in my uh, in my sangha. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's this is is why we chant you know why mm -hmm. we have ritual why we have liturgy mm -hmm. what's what's the point you know <laughs> why how, how does that reach us at the conventional level and mm -hmm. and um one of the things that we talked about in our last meeting was that it reaches us at the conventional level in much the same way music and literature does it hits mm -hmm. here mm -hmm. you know That's hits right. here at the heart um how would you describe why chant uh -huh. Well, in our latest version of our service book that Orange County published uh, some years ago, we put in there uh, this basic explanation on sutra chanting. So sutra chanting has a threefold function. The first function, it has a ritual function in which we're, we're in a ritual, we're praising the Buddha. Second, it has a meditative function. And this is an aspect of sutra chanting that we haven't talked about at all in Shin Buddhism. But 
sutra chanting is it has the same effect as sitting in meditation. Right. That's why the sutra chanting is always before the Dharma talk. <laughs> yeah, right. It's always before the Dharma talk. So we settle ourselves, prepare our hearts and minds to, to listen and receive the Dharma. So it has this ritual aspect. It has a meditative, meditative aspect. And then the third component is it's a it has a learning aspect. It has a learning aspect. So as we're chanting, gee, what is it that I'm chanting? Now we want to learn in a study class what it is that we're chanting. And so ministers or monks who can read the Chinese and they're ch chanting in Chinese, you know, as they're chanting it, praising the Buddha, they're also reading the text and right. those. Uh, teachings, those char Chinese characters that you know you get to where you kind of memorize them, or or it's it's a, a partial study. It's not quite like just reading, but it's right. it's uh, subliminal, I guess. Maybe uh -huh. uh -huh. uh, learning, and then and and certain passages of that sutra might jump out at you sometimes as you're chanting it. Oh, I never thought about this before. The meaning of these characters, something like that. So it has those threefold aspects. I yeah. think we explain that better, especially to the newcomer. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Because, um, and and part of it, I, I'll put a little critique on our culture. I mean, part of it uh, is we, we, we seem to want everything delivered to us the way we want it, packaged the way we want it, at the price we want it, or, you, you know, without ever taking a step to meet in uh -huh. the middle right, That's right. It, it, right. and and i i find that a little annoying but it's like uh -huh. it's, you know it's one thing to do that with your you know with your fast food but it's another uh -huh. thing <laughs> if it's your spiritual practice you should take a few steps to meet in the middle right uh, <laughs> so um you know in that same article uh this links to that. And, and I don't know, this is probably an unfair question. You have 58 churches and temples in the yes. churches in yes. America. Uh -huh. Now the pandemic has brought a wealth of, of Buddhist services of all types and stripes yes. Um, yes. to the internet. And so people get to sample, right? Yes. A little bit. Yes. Um, uh, and we, one of the things that people like the, like if someone like listens to this and say I'd like to know more about Shin Buddhism, you know, mm -hmm. I'd I'd, lo I'd love to know more about Shin Buddhism. So mm -hmm. they look on the internet and they they see the you know Orange County presentation or yeah, or yeah. whatever presentation yeah. and and then they go and I there are a few Shin podcasts but very few. Um, mm -hmm. so they go there and mm -hmm. and then mm -hmm. they then they they hear a lot of chanting and 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 so they're saying now how am i to incorporate this in my everyday life uh -huh. you know because in those 58 temples and churches um mm. not many of us are near one you know there's yes. most of them i think are on the west coast or the midwest uh -huh. or uh -huh. so it's like very few out here in the the this side of of the country or down maybe in the south and and it's like that leaves people saying well how how could i i love what uh bishop harada said about shin buddhism now what do i do mm -hmm, mm -hmm, okay mm -hmm. what's your answer 
<laughs> Unfair question, right? <laughs> no. Uh, well, I think thanks to the pandemic, we have more internet resources now. And most ministers have been doing either uh, Zoom or Facebook or YouTube uh, services. Uh, like you say, I think most ministers think, well, I have to do the entire service. So there's the chanting and then there's the Dharma talk. Uh, I, I sort of question whether we should have the entire service. We, In some cases, we should have the entire service, especially for our members who are at home and they want to participate in the right. entire service. But the, the newcomer just wants to listen to a message, I think. Yes. And then, and then later they could be drawn into the entire service. See, So maybe we need more uh, focus on just introductory talks on Shin Buddhism, uh, things of that nature that people can uh, click on and hear a short message or a short introduction to Shin Buddhism. So the uh, at Orange County, prior to the pandemic, we began to try to do more on the internet and we created this everyday uh, everyday Buddhist uh, online program. And so that's continuing on there. So there's uh, many courses there, many lectures that... Oh, good to know. Can, yes. And uh, of varying topics and with varying teachers. Uh, I, I highly recommend that uh, as a way for people to get started. Oh, good. I will put the I will put those links in oh. my show notes so mm -hmm. people can find that because mm -hmm. I, I'm, I've, re, you know the few times that I have mentioned to people um, when they ask me what sort of practice I, I have taken up, I, I say it's primarily a, a sh basically a Shin Buddhist practice, even though I have 20 years of Tibetan. So I guess it's kind of a hybrid Tibetan Shin, yeah, if you could yeah. do that. But, but, um, uh -huh. but it's like, they always look at me like what's shin you know it's like it's it's like it's pretty hard to point them in the right direction That's so right. I, I i'll put as many links as i can in the show notes of this because yes this would be wonderful mm -hmm. um you know there's so much more i could talk to you about but uh i've taken a lot of your time today and last week so <laughs> i won't take any more of your time um but before i close is there anything else you wanted to say or that i didn't say or ask or Oh, no, nothing in particular. It's just wonderful to have this uh, dialogue with you and to have the opportunity to share some thoughts uh, on on Buddhism and Shin Buddhism in particular with with your with your uh, Internet audience. So thank you for this opportunity. Thank you, Reverend Harada, so much. Thank you. Thank you. That's it for this episode. Check the show notes for more information about the Jud Buddhist Churches of America and about our everyday Sangha, which will be incorporating um, more of the ritualistic elements talked about in this episode, in addition to a study of Shin Buddhism in the, from the book River of Fire or River of Water by Teatso Uno. So next up, some announcements. Don't forget... As I always say, that you can join me and others in the private donation-supported Everyday Sangha. That meets virtually via Zoom every other week on Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. U.S. Eastern Time. As I mentioned, the Sangha is currently at the beginning of a new format and a new book study. So now is the perfect time. 
to consider joining. And please, please, I can't emphasize enough, consider supporting the efforts of this podcast and related groups by becoming a community member for $5 a month. If you do, you will have access to blogs, members-only podcasts, an education series, a, pr- a private uh, discussion group that's no longer on Facebook, but it's its own dedicated group, which I think will make you happier, and uh, the free introduction to Buddhism class and the new bonus contemplation podcast. If you don't follow me or Everyday Buddhism on any social media platforms we post in, you can go to the Everyday Buddhism website and join the membership community or the, the Everyday Sangha. You can go to www.everyday-buddhism.com and click on the tab that says Join Community or Sangha. I can't stress enough how important it is to this podcast and the related groups to receive your donations. I do not seek podcast sponsors and do not ask for financial commitments through paid podcast memberships. So my work and the cost of the infrastructure needed to support what I do is entirely self-funded except for your donations. And I have to say, this is getting harder and harder for me to maintain. So please consider a one-time or continuing donation through Patreon or my website. You can find the links to both my Patreon and my website donation tab in the show notes. And thanks to all of you who write in with comments and questions. I get a lot of them. I read every single one of them. I sometimes respond when I can, and sometimes months (laughs) go by before I can respond, so I can't always respond. Another way you can help is to rate and review the podcast on your favorite podcast platform. It's important to share the podcast with others if you find it helpful in your life. And if you could, take a minute to comment so people will know why you love everyday Buddhism, not just that you do love everyday Buddhism. Okay, so that's all for the announcements for today. So until next time, Keep finding ways to make yours and everyone's days better. 